Welcome to the Brandon New Podcast. I'm your host, Carly Lyon, and I'm dedicated to helping individuals elevate their personal brand, proactively shape their reputation, and attract the life and career they dream of. I interview leading creative professionals, communication experts, and social media gurus in a bid to uncover practical and cutting-edge personal branding strategies for you to apply. All sessions are recorded in front of a real audience asking real questions. If you want to learn more, please feel free to visit my website, carlylion.com, and discover other ways we can work together. For now, let's start the class. Hi, guys. Welcome to the Brand in You podcast. I am Carly Lyon, and I like to describe myself as a former international personal publicist turned personal branding coach and speaker. So I am all about helping entrepreneurs and executives shape, manage, and elevate their personal brand so that they can attract the right people, places, and opportunities into their life and have the impact that they want to have. Now, today I'm feeling like a little bit of a kid in a candy store because my guest today is not only a world-renowned communications coach, he is the author of not one, not two, but on my count, nine best-selling books, two of which we're going to specifically touch on today. He works with some of the world's leading organizations. He's an executive educator at Harvard University and a columnist for Forbes and Entrepreneur. Carmine Gallo, welcome and thank you so much for being here with me today. Oh, my pleasure, Carly. Thanks for inviting me. I see your some of the clips from your podcast that you share on LinkedIn and other social media sites. So congratulations on the podcast. In fact, you do a very good job of interviewing people. So I'm a little intimidated. Oh, no, please. I'll take that as a compliment and I'll, I'll say thank you and keep it at that. But I really appreciate you being here. I really do. And I genuinely mean it, Carmine. I've got a whole bunch of questions here. I'm going to be respectful of your time, but there's so many things I want to ask you. I think importantly, it's important to create a little context and give everyone a little bit of background. So I'd like to just start by asking communications coach, when and why did you decide to become a communications coach? Oh, I I remember the transformative moments uh, that led me to where I am today. I started, I graduated from college and I decided that I wanted to go into journalism Mm -hmm. because uh, I loved public speaking. I loved speeches. I loved current events. I loved to learn something new and share it with people. So journalism just seemed like the easy fit. So I got a master's degree after college, got a master's, and then went into broadcast journalism for 15 years of my career. But journalism, as as anybody who watches television news probably knows, it's you know, it's not the most satisfying, I think, career anymore. Uh, and it just wasn't for me. But fortunately, the last part of my career, I worked directly with business yeah. people yeah. and covering Wall Street. And I don't live in New York, but um, I live in California now. But I was in New York for the last couple of years of my journalism career. So I was right there on Wall Street talking to analysts and stockbrokers and stock analysts and economists and all these experts. Yeah. And and I began to notice something, and I'm sure you've noticed this from your PR career. You know this better than anybody. Whether it was CNN where, where I was working or some other places, the same experts were invited back 
Mm. week after week, the same roster of experts. Well, I'm in New York City. There's 300,000 people who understand the stock market. Why are these 10 the ones who are invited back? Why are these CEOs the ones that they schedule every quarter when their reports come out? They may not even be the biggest companies. They may not be the best experts on a particular subject, but they were the best communicators. Mm. They were so good at making the complex simple. So I started to get into media training and I trained executives on how to appear in media, which was a natural fit for me. But I, I enjoy learning new things and writing. So I started writing books and just kind of taking my journalism background and applying it to uh, books that could help people be better communicators, better leaders, uh, and kind of in, in some way investigative journalism, but not in a bad yeah. way. Just yeah, kind of digging deep fun. into something. Like if I, my one of my first books that uh, became a bestseller was The Presentation Secrets of Steve Jobs. Mm-hmm. So I could watch Steve Jobs. And at that time, he was considered one of the greatest you know, presenters in corporate America, uh, corp- in any business around the world. And I... I wanted to know more, though. So I talked to people who created his slides. I talked to people who were with Steve Jobs in the rehearsal room as he practiced for these famous keynotes. Yeah. So that's what I enjoy doing, learning about a particular person or a particular company and showing you how they did it, which led us to the books you've mentioned, TED, the TED Talks, and uh, the new book on Amazon and Jeff Bezos. It's it's fun for me. It's just kind of like journalism where where I can learn something new from yeah. people who have inside information and then share it with others, but not just general news that you you listen to and you you move on, but something that you can actually apply. Uh, you know, it's so obvious. And one of the things I really wanted to compliment you on and and make clear to everyone that's listening it's so obvious in your books that that is one of your intentions to not just tell, but to really educate. And I cannot tell you how many in both books you've, you call them coaching drills where you really actually break down. Well, this is what they do and this is how they did it, but this is how you can do it too. And here are the actual steps that you can take to do what they do. And I think that that idea of communications being something that you can learn and develop it's not something that's just innate it's not a god-given gift and some people just naturally come into the world they're good at it but it is something you learn right oh absolutely first of all my wife vanessa who co-teaches with me at harvard would appreciate what you just said because those coaching drills that you see in my books were her idea. And so she loves to take credit for that. Uh, She's uh, really important to to what we do. Oh, you mentioned that people are not always naturally gifted at this. And I like to say that people, a great public speakers are made. They're not born. Yeah, almost every public speaker who whom you admire in some way. Yeah. whether they're historical figures like Martin Luther King or uh, maybe a Steve Jobs or contemporary people, I I can almost guarantee you in every situation, they worked at it. Yes. Uh, They worked at it. People don't 
re- recall. They don't know. I, I read it in a in a deep inside a history book once that uh, Martin Luther King, by the time he gave his now famous I have a dream speech, that was 2,500 speeches after he had started. He, he yeah. already had been given thousands of speeches. When he was in college, he would try to copy preachers that he heard. And so friends of his, uh, dorm mates, would hear him in his room you know, recalling these speeches yeah. that he had heard in church because he was a pastor. But you work at it. Well, let me tell you uh, one uh, one event that completely kind of changed my opinion about anyone who anyone can become a great speaker anyone can become a good communicator but you have to work at it yeah so one of my last uh gigs in journalism when i was still working in broadcast journalism i had returned to california and cbs because they knew i lived in northern california they wanted me to cover the uh arnold schwarzenegger's campaign for governor Oh, wow. So I followed Arnold around for uh, for weeks, months ahead of time. And then he won that election. And Sacramento is about an hour and a half from where I live. That's our capital. So I would go back and forth and I would, you know, do do um, spots for CBS at the time uh, for the first few months. And so I got a front row seat into watching Arnold Schwarzenegger take complex information and not sound like a politician, but sounding like a normal person. And that's one of the reasons why he really won the election, not just because he was famous, but he was he was a gifted and is a gifted communicator. Well, once I started talking to the people who knew him best, especially some of his best friends, one person said, oh, you know, that's intentional. He's worked at it. He knew that after acting, he wanted to become political in some way or another. He wasn't even sure what that would be. So he started taking, he, he began accepting every invitation to speak, to speak in front of groups, to speak in front of the, the you know, the, the morning um, business meetings. He, he spoke everywhere around the state because he wanted to build that skill yes. of public speaking. So he knew that somehow public speaking was going to be important to him didn't exactly know how, probably didn't expect to be running for governor, but it came back to him. That's the point. Everybody I meet who is considered a good speaker in one way or another, once you start talking to them or you get to know them, you realize that there is something in their background where they intentionally began to improve on that skill because that skill is so valuable. It's so refreshing, Carmine. And I love that in both books, you break that down, you make that very obvious. And I loved, especially in the Vsauce blueprint, you really showed the the journey that Jeff Vsauce took from a communications perspective, where he started and then where, you know, he is today mm-hmm. and the progression and where he got better and better and better. So I just love that message. And I know that that is so valuable to my audience who the majority of would be thinking, I'm not a good public speaker. I'm not good at, you know, X, Y, Z. And it just means, well, maybe you need to do more of it, not less of it, but actually more of it like good old Arnie Schwarzenegger. Yes. Have you heard of uh, Dr. Cyan Baylock? She wrote a book called Choke. Right. Uh, 
Yes. And now she's president of Dartmouth, one of our Ivy Leagues here in the States. But yeah, uh, yeah so uh, Cyan is a neuroscientist and she studies she studied peak performance. And so she uh, she gave a, a now a fair, a pretty famous TED Talks, very popular mm -hmm. TED Talk. She gave it several years ago. Uh, but she talks about uh, peak performers, people who perform their best under pressure. Yeah. And she says they practice a lot. Mm. They practice under stressful conditions. Mm. So the reason why she she does mention public speaking, I've talked to her about public speaking. She focused on sports, yeah. but it was very similar. Uh, she said people get nervous yeah. when they are public speaking in any way. Most people do uh, because one, it's it's not natural. And then there's a whole bunch of ancient um you know, there's the way our brain is wired. We, we want to be accepted by the, the tribes so is actually nerve. It's natural to be nervous in front of others, but you get over it by practicing a lot, mm. but practicing intentionally under stress. Yes. Okay. So in, uh, you know, in soccer, when they're, you know, your football, well, when they are practicing field goals or when they're practicing uh, certain things in front, and when they know they're going to be in front of a lot of people, they yeah. practice that thousands of times, yeah. uh, whether it, whether it's tennis or any other sport. But most people don't do that when it comes to public speaking. Mm. OK, so that's why we get nervous because we just don't do it. And when you're preparing for a presentation, what do most people do? They kind of flip through their slides. They, yeah. they glance at their slides and they, oh, yeah, I, I, know, I know what to say there. And then they're in front of real people. It's like, oh, uh oh, you know, and then, and then they kind of freeze yeah. because you you haven't practiced in front of real people. Uh, so, you know, so here in our in our football, in American football stadiums, uh, you know, I, I've seen this during practice. They'll yeah. have like loudspeakers where they have, um, uh, you know, it's very loud, like like you would hear in a in a real stadium with 80,000 people. Um, you know, th they go through the motions. Yeah. That's why you have practice games before the real thing happens. Have a practice game. Yeah. Get on a Zoom call with yeah. somebody. If you have to give a remote meeting, why yeah. don't you schedule the call? Schedule a meeting with, with a trusted friend. Yeah. Press record. Go through the presentation. Watch yeah. the presentation. You might even get a little nervous, and that's okay. That's you you need to have a little bit of stress while yeah. you're practicing. So that yeah. was science big revelation to me. It's not good enough just to practice. Yes. Practice under real world conditions. So, so smart. And we're yeah. so obsessed with this idea of wanting to be naturally gifted that we forget that the vast majority of the, the people out there who we admire are practicing, practicing, practicing. Oh, no, no, Car Carly, nobody, honestly, nobody I have written about or talk, talk to is naturally gifted. Okay. I, I think we, they're naturally gifted maybe in some ways. Yeah. Uh, we all bring strengths. Maybe someone has a really good voice. Uh, perhaps someone has a really good presence about them, whatever it is. Yeah, you're gifted in some way. And we always recommend that you build on those strengths. Absolutely. Um, and, and Arnold was just a, he's a naturally gregarious person who likes to be around people. But yeah. put a PowerPoint clicker in his hand. Like, what? what's this? <laughs> you know, so yeah. he had things to he had things to learn uh, yeah. and people have things to learn. Uh, I won't say his name, but there is a famous pastor who I've met uh, yeah. and he he gives he actually fills 
fills stadiums around the world. Wow. However, I uh, he's acknowledged to me, and I, I don't know if you said this publicly, but he was terrified, terrified <laughs> of public speaking when he first uh, got up in front of a congregation. He said for the first year he was behind the lectern, just shaking. Oh my! Okay, so d- don't make the mistake of seeing somebody who is just making it look effortless in terms of public speaking or giving a presentation, Steve Jobs included. Uh, And don't make the mistake of thinking that they're just naturally gifted communicators or speakers. Chances are they worked at it and they worked at it very, very hard for a long period of time. I love it. I love it. Now, you said something that I felt was the perfect segue when you were talking about Arnold Schwarzenegger and his ability to take something that was very complex and make it simple. And Carmine, uh, what's coming up for me a lot with my clients and even just recently in a workshop is this whole world of corporate jargon and business speak and this want or need or this comfort zone that a lot of my clients have in just speaking through corporate jargon and trying to make make themselves sound intelligent by using really complex ideas and words. And in the first chapter, the first section of the BSOS blueprint, you talk about simplicity being a superpower. And I would love to get your take on this because I just thought it was so important and extremely Mm. timely right now uh, with what I'm talking about to my clients. I'm so glad you brought that up because it's timely for everybody. Yes, Mm. you're right. In one of the chapters, my first chapter, I call it simple is the new superpower because Jeff Bezos and other good communicators go out of their way to make the complex simple. Yes. And there's different ways that they do that. Uh, I do think it takes courage to do that because you have to reach a point where you are confident in yourself and you have to understand that the best way of reaching people and convincing people of anything is by making it easy for them to follow and to understand your argument. So I have a graphic uh, in in the book where it it shows the the grade level that Jeff Bezos wrote in. Okay. Now we're talking about writing specifically, writing specifically, because Jeff Bezos wrote more than uh, 20 or 24 shareholder letters. Those are public letters to Amazon shareholders. Warren Buffett also is famous for his letters. Yeah. So if you want to see, if you want to hear and or read people who can simplify complexity, Jeff Bezos, and Warren Buffett letters. They're excellent. But both people are considered simplifiers. But what I found with Jeff Bezos is that he wrote at an eighth grade level. So the reading level, if you take words, if you take any text, you can put it into Grammarly. For example, you can put it into software that measures the reading level. Uh, how much of an education does someone need in order to understand that particular passage? Well, if I took all of the all of the shareholder letters, some of them were 10th grade. Um, a few early on were even higher than that, right. which means that they were a little more complicated. But then as as the years went on and Amazon grew bigger, 
and more complicated as a company. Yeah. Jeff Bezos and his writing, his writing got simpler down to about eighth grade level. Well, here's the interesting part. As I was researching the book and I talked to people who worked with Jeff Bezos and who work at Amazon, they told me something very interesting. They mm. teach, they have writing classes for people at Amazon, especially leaders. And in those writing classes, they instruct you strive to write at an eighth grade level. Wow. So, so that's why that there's a reason for this. But eighth grade does not mean dumbing down the content. It simply means maybe using less jargon, shorter words to talk yeah. about hard things, short yeah. words, um, shorter sentences, yeah. easier to follow. Uh, so it's not necessarily take uh not addressing complexity, yes. but it's it's just using simpler language and shorter words and easy to follow words to talk about more complex ideas and, and sentences have, and sentences have to be shorter, too. And maybe active sentences, 90, 90 percent of the sentences were active sentences. So subject, verb, object uh, this year, uh, Amazon gained X amount in revenue. So that's easier to follow than the passive version of the same sentence where it gets a little longer, more convoluted. So there's ways of writing and speaking in eighth grade language that has nothing to do with uh, dumbing down the content, but simplifying the content so it's easier to follow, easier to understand. And and that applies to written and speaking, right? That idea of speaking in simple terms, shorter sentences, verbally as well as in writing. Oh, you'll love this. You'll love this. You know what Neil deGrasse Tyson once told me, a famous astrophysicist about speaking, giving yeah. speeches and presentations? I don't think a lot of people know this. He still writes his speeches longhand, yeah. longhand yeah. on paper, with an ink pen with like ink and quill right <laughs> the old found the old ink yeah. pens and why there's a reason for it because the uh the old ink pens or, or the uh yeah yeah you know the uh the quill and ink where you had to you have to dip yeah. it into the ink it runs out it runs out of ink. You cannot make sentences long the sentences have to be short and tight. Love it. And there's some history to that as well. So it's really fascinating. But I, I took a deep dive into the history of the English language yeah. um, and the history of words, because I wanted to understand why is it that when people want to get communicate something that is urgent and you want to yeah. get it across quickly, why do they go back to short words? Yeah. So I spoke to English language experts and historians and people in England, for example, who brought me back to the year 1066, which yeah. was the year of the Norman invasion, which is when the English language began to change because romance languages became introduced into the vocabulary rather than the old Saxon uh, Germanic words, which were short and to the point. Wow. That's why when you read legal documents, your eyes glaze over, don't they? Yes, they Nobody, right. You don't think because they are written in, in the more formal uh, romance or Latin based languages. But when you want to make a point, yeah, 
you we naturally tend to go back to the more ancient words of our language so one example that was given to me by an instructor and it made a lot of sense if i were to tell you uh you were leaving the house i were i were to say uh carly turn off the lights when you leave the house yeah those are all one syllable words yeah turn out the lights when you leave the house i do not say um, upon departing the premises, reduce the illumination throughout the uh, yeah. abode. Why don't I do that? See, that's that's odd. Wouldn't it? that would be odd? Very, very. When odd. I but when I need to get a message across urgently and quickly, I just na we naturally tend to go back to the ancient words. Mm -hmm. So what happens when we get into a PowerPoint or when? Okay, now we were getting back to your clients because I, I I see the same thing all the time what happens now all of a sudden we're we're giving a formal business presentation therefore um i should use big words a lot of jargon uh long complicated convoluted sentences i'm going to put a lot of text on each slide so you can't even read it and make it in 12 point font it's the exact opposite i think of what good communicators do which is less is more minimalism selecting the the message and then choosing the words to get that message across as simple as possible i mean in the the vsauce blueprint and talk like ted you refer to you know overdoing it with powerpoints in fact jeff vsauce banned powerpoints altogether so that that alone we could go right down that path but just well that's why i wrote the book carly <laughs> that that's because people have asked me uh, yeah. Okay. You've read about TED Talks. You've read well, Jeff Bezos. Well, where, where, where did that come from? I said, okay, think about this. Any leader of one of the world's most valuable companies who bans PowerPoint at the company, <laughs> this guy is thinking about something in, in communication on a completely different level. Yeah. So I did the research into that. I even talked to the person who was with Jeff Bezos when Jeff decided no more powerpoint yeah so uh, and i have a whole chapter on that but yes that's the point is here is somebody who's thinking so, on such a different level about how to communicate that he decides powerpoint is not our best tool yeah. it's writing and so that's why uh, amazon is a writing culture but let me be clear and make no mistake they still use powerpoint i worked with amazon executives at amazon web services the big cloud computing division when yeah. they're presenting at conferences they're still using powerpoint yes it's more about decision making he he said when people come into the a meeting and they're pitching ideas i want to see that they've actually thought it through i want to yeah. see that they can actually write a, a full sentence and connect the dots anyone can write bullet points insert image uh and bullet points okay that doesn't really show that you know uh, your topic as well as you should no absolutely so you give a lot of different tools and tips in in both of those books talk like ted and the vsauce blueprint is there one or two that is your golden gem that you are, it's a big go-to for you with clients so there are any specific tools that just are your favorites that you really work on a lot yes especially recently i am a big fan of the three-act storytelling structure 
Every Hollywood movie, every successful Hollywood movie, except for maybe Quentin Tarantino's, but most of them fall in uh, into a three act structure. And the three act structure is the structure of most heroic tales going back century. The three act structure, and you'll be able to recognize this in any movie that you think about, is Act one is the setup. That's when the characters are introduced. And then there has to be an inciting incident that yeah. has. To, that's the the event that triggers the adventure. So for Jeff Bezos, for example, the the event was the fact that he was working at, for a hedge fund in New York and he came across a statistic yeah. that really blew him away that the Internet was growing at twenty three hundred percent per year. He said, nothing grows at 2,300%. I want in. So that to me is like the inciting incident. That is the event that triggers the adventure. Act two is the conflict. That's the middle hour of a two-hour movie is the conflict. Yep. That's the fun part. That is where there's challenges and hurdles to get uh, before the hero achieves their, their dream or their goal. Uh, and even when Jeff Bezos tells the Amazon story, I think he, he understands storytelling. Yeah. Uh, he gets right into act two and he says, but success was not assured. In fact, in 2001, after the dot com bust happened, uh, the stock lost 90 percent of its value. Uh, he loves to show a cover of a newspaper that says Amazon dot bomb. That's act two. Yeah. And so act one, act two are very, very important. And then act three, of course, is the resolution. That's where everything gets tied into a bow and people live happily ever after. So act one, act two and act three of a Hollywood movie are, is very important. But you yeah. can also use it in almost any pitch or presentation as well. And you're, you can apply this to a business story, but equally to the origin story of a founder or an entrepreneur and their own personal story as well, correct? The three-act structure is the perfect origin story. Yeah. yeah. So let's say two, uh, two friends are living in San Francisco yeah. and they are sharing an apartment and they cannot pay the rent. Yep. Act one. That's the setup. Yep. Act two is the inciting incident, how are they going to pay the rent? Hey, let's rent out an air mattress. There's a conference coming to town and we're going to rent it out to strangers. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Let's make a business out of it. We'll call it Airbnb. Yeah. But uh, like Jeff Bezos said, success was not assured. They had to overcome a lot of challenges. Brian Chesky and his co-founders had to overcome a number of challenges before Airbnb really took hold. And one of their main conflicts that they had to figure out was how to make strangers trust each other, like with their homes. Yeah. Trust was a major issue. So they developed tools, they developed strategies uh, that eventually in act three revolutionized the entire uh, share, you know, pioneered the sharing economy and revolutionized hospitality and the way we travel and experience travel. Uh, but when I watched Brian Chesky, the CEO of Airbnb, talk about the Airbnb story, especially when the company went IPO. So that's yeah. when they give a roadshow, they talk about the company. 
I can immediately identify it. I said, this is that's a three X structure way he's setting it up. So here's the deal. You don't talk about uh, you, you don't talk about products or services or new products or ideas by talking about the product itself. Yeah. You don't start with the product speeds and feeds, features and benefits. If yeah. no one understands why the idea took hold, why you even have the idea, what are what are the problems that it it solves? Um, I, I should I should be. I would be remiss if I didn't use this example because yeah. you're in Australia. Yes. Uh, you have a perfect three act structure there. One of the great uh, founders and entrepreneurs in the world, which is Melanie, uh, Melanie Perkins at Canva. Yeah. yeah, of course. Okay. So I, I interviewed Melanie Perkins several years ago. Uh, Canva, one of the great entrepreneur success stories of all time. Yes. He was rejected. And you may know this Yes. Uh, better than a lot of people. She was rejected like a hundred times. Yes. And she acknowledged that the initial pitch for Canva was, in her words, pretty terrible. <laughs> yeah. The reason why is because she was focused on Canva's features. Hey, look at this online graphic design tool and look at all the cool things it can do in the cloud. Mm. And investors at the time, this was more than 10 years ago, Carly, investors at the time were thinking, okay, and like, yeah. what? why? Why even bring it up? So she started bringing in the backstory when yeah. she was a university student in Perth, I believe. And she was uh, trying to make ends meet. She, you know, she needed to pay the bills too. And uh, she was teaching Photoshop uh, on the side. Well, Photoshop, Adobe was expensive. It's it's very complicated. Yeah. Ah, there has to be a better way. Mm -hmm. So that she said, once she started telling the backstory that mm -hmm. she didn't think people would be interested in, she told me that was a transformative moment in the way she pitched Canva. Amazing. To me, what am I thinking? Because I'm a storytelling guy and I'm thinking about it in terms of a structure. I'm yeah. listening to her going, that's the three act structure. Yeah. You can't exactly. start with the resolution. Mm. Yes, it's great to tie it up in a bow and everybody lives happily ever after, but you can't start there. You have to give people a reason, build the story. It's so much more interesting that way. So if there's one tool that you can use today, that's yeah. an ancient tool. Yeah. Stick to the three act structure in your pitches, new ideas, even your presentations. Here's the status quo. Here's where we are today. Here's some of the conflicts or problems that might come up. Here's how we're going to resolve those problems. And everyone's going to live happily ever after the end. <laughs> we love a happy ending. And, and you really do go into a lot of that detail in the BSOS blueprint. So for anyone listening, they have to order the BSOS blueprint. They have to also order Talk Like Ted. I'm very mindful of your time, despite having still reams of questions here in front of you. I know you do have to get back to your evening. Is there anything else that you, I mean, I feel like we've ended on such an incredible note. You've given so many amazing insights and tools and obviously the books are incredible is there anything else you'd like the audience to know or act on before we 
we say goodbye? Well, first of all, we can always do this again. So I will oh, expect really a follow up. We'll do a follow up invitation. We'll do this again. Or we'll do another hour or so. Oh, but if people would like to follow me, please do, uh, because I, I'm on LinkedIn. I yes. think I'm the only Carmine Gallo in California. Probably. Yes. There's very few of us. So it's I'm easy to find on LinkedIn. You can go to my website, CarmineGallo.com. And I, I do a lot of speaking as well. So I, I speak to groups and associations uh, and I work with CEOs and teams. So please contact me. I'm, I'm very easy to contact and I love meeting new people and hearing their stories as well. So Carmine Gallo, if you can remember a good Italian name like that, I am easy to find. You are, and you are absolutely worth following on all of those platforms. I do, and your content's amazing. Your books are amazing. And thank you so much for your time today. I really do appreciate it. I will be chasing you for a follow-up because I feel like getting into Talk Like Ted and specifically public speaking, I know I would love to to hear more. So thank you, Carmine. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're most welcome. I expect an invite for part two. And looking forward to it. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you did, share what you learned and help others find the podcast by leaving a review. If you would like to attend the next virtual class in real time, be sure to sign up to the invite list via carlylion.com or the link in the show notes below. I look forward to having you at the next class.